Amen. It's good to see everybody this morning. Thank you for coming and braving a pandemic to come worship in person. We're glad to see you on this Resurrection Sunday. Virtually touch your neighbor and let them know you're happy to see them. Amen. Virtually touch your other neighbor. That means don't really touch them, but wave at them and let them know that you're happy to see them, that you're happy that they came into the house of the Lord. Amen. So this week we had, um, what holiday was this week before? Um, April's Fool, right? Which, uh, well, not, not before Good Friday, it was April's Fool. Which, you know, uh, it's kind of weird that the two fall um, close together. And on that day of April's Fool, it's very hard to know what is true. Because people put out news and you don't know if it's true or false. I don't know if you guys know the anchor, I think his name is Michael Straham, um, the anchor of Good Morning America. And he put out a, a, a message that he was getting a procedure done. Because he's known, his biggest trademark is the gap between his teeth. And so he put up a, a, um, a news that he was getting a procedure to fill the gap. And that became a big news until he came out and says, nah, the gap is here to stay. Which is a good thing because, you know, how God made you, you should be happy the way God made you. You know, God taught your neighbor virtually and tell them God made you beautiful. Whether you're tall, short, it doesn't matter. God made you beautiful because the Bible says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And so it's good to, to accept the way that God made us. But then when you have other pranks, some of them go bad. Somebody thought it was a good idea, they were at work, and they made a prank call to someone, and they pretended to be under an active shooter threat. So that person called 911. 911 showed up, and there was nothing. So the person who made the prank call got arrested. Don't make those prank calls. It is not a good idea. And in our day and age, with all the information that we have, we also have a lot of misinformation, and it's very hard to know what is true and what is false. You can have people talking about the same event. If you watch this network, they're going to tell it to you one way. If you watch that network, they're going to tell it to you another way. But I want to tell you this morning that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true and trustworthy. If one thing you can be sure of in your life is that Christ came, he died on the cross, and on the third day he rose. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to read from verse 3 to verse 12. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3 to verse 12. For what I... What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me 
also as the one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by, great, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if, this, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And that is the question that is plaguing even till today. That we would say that there is no resurrection of the dead. When you talk to some people in the world, sometimes they say no, that Jesus came, he was a historical figure, but then when he died, he really died, and he did not rise from the dead. It was symbolic, or that the miracles of Scripture are um, metaphors to teach us lessons. And that is a lie from the pits of hell. Christ came in physical form, he died on a cross, and then he rose on into glory. And why this is important is verse 17 of that same passage. It says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. The whole plan of redemption comes through the cross, but it doesn't end at the cross. It comes through the resurrection of Christ. Um, in all the holidays that we have, the most lucrative one is Christmas. That's the one that everybody loves, right? It's my favorite, I'll be honest, it's my favorite holiday, right? It's the most wonderful time of the year. But the most important holiday that we have is this one. It's Resurrection Sunday. Because if Christ doesn't rise from the dead, the little baby in the manger means nothing. If Christ is not risen from the dead and not sitting on the throne right now, then the, the Magi's and the... The people that came and worshipped the little baby, they worshipped just another human. So I want to tell you this morning that the resurrection of Christ is true and we can prove it with evidence. So I'm going to go over a few items that show that the resurrection of Christ is true. Number one, the empty tomb. The empty tomb. Now we have to consider that the authors of the Gospels, they're different people. You have Matthew, who was a tax collector. You have John, who was a fisherman. But then you have Luke, who was a historian. And then you had Mark, that was, um, that was one of the disciples under Peter. And what, what we understand, they all report about the empty tomb. Now, a tomb back then, it was that big cave. And especially the tomb of a rich man like Joseph of Arimathea, the tomb that Jesus borrowed, he didn't need to buy a tomb because he wasn't going to stay there long. That was like a cave, and in front of the cave, there was a big rock. When I was in college, one of my teachers, we were talking about the resurrection of Christ, and what she was saying was, oh, maybe Jesus died, and then when he was in the cave, there was like a freshness, and he came back to life, like, but not in resurrected power, but he just came kind of back to life, right? And then he would have stumbled out of the grave. But you can't because it's a big stone. And that big stone cannot be lifted. When the women got at the tomb, they would ask the men, the soldiers, to, oh, we needed the men to be able to move that rock. That rock is too heavy. Now, if you go even till today, if you go to Jeru Jerusalem, the tomb is empty. 
the tube is empty. And that would have been very easy for the, for the authorities once the people start preaching, well, just go to the tomb that was guarded by soldiers and then show the body. Just show the body and it's over. So right now people are, is Elvis alive? I, I hear even, is, is Epstein alive? Maybe he's, he's not really dead, they're doing a plot. But that's very easy to prove. All you have to do is find the body. But the tomb of Jesus Christ was empty. So right now you can go to the tomb of the other religious leaders, but you go to the tomb of Christ, it's empty. Number two, you have the eyewitness of, of the women. Now, a little history lesson. You think you have injustice now, and you have injustice, but imagine you live in a time where the testimony of one woman is worth half that of a man. So you need two women to offset the testimony of one man. But where men discriminates and where men try to put a difference, what men put down, God glorifies. And the first people to receive the message of the gospel were women, um, specifically Mary of Magdalene. Now, if you were trying to make up a story, you wouldn't go to what society considered the least credible witnesses. You would go to the most credible witnesses. So the male authors of the gospel wouldn't have put ladies as the first witnesses of the resurrection. And you can even see it in the text because when the ladies come to the men and they tell them, oh, I've seen the Lord, they're like, oh, yeah, they're just crazy. They're like, oh, they're just crazy. They don't even give him credibility of what they're saying. But it doesn't matter if people don't believe you. It doesn't matter if people put you down. God has chosen you to carry his word. And so the fact that they put the eyewitnesses as women first indicates that it would be the truth. Because you would not try to put them first. And then you have the eyewitness of Jesus's own brothers. Now, Jesus's brothers did not at first believe in him. Jesus's brothers actually were mocking him at times when, when he was doing his ministry. They were mocking him at times. Even John chapter 7 tells us that they did not believe in him. But his brothers, not only did they turn and now believed in him, they became leaders of the church and they became authors. And we see in, um, in the book of James and the book of Jude, James says, A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. And then Jude says, A servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James to those who have been called who are loved in, in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, love be yours in abundance. Now, I don't know about you. I have older brothers, right? And, and Jesus was the eldest brother. I have older brothers. I love my brothers. But I'm not calling myself a servant of my brother. Are you crazy? I'm not calling myself, oh, the, the Lord. Whatever. No, uh -uh, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. Now, if my brother would become president... Then I would have to call him Mr. President. If I go to my other brother's church, how, depending on how they roll, while I'm at the church, I might have to call him Pastor Vlad because he has the position of the pastor. 
So I have to show respect to the position. So now the brothers of Jesus, they saw Jesus grow up and everything, but now they realize that Jesus now sits in a different position, that Jesus is at a different level. So now James, the, the brother, has to call himself the servant. Now Jude has to say, well, we, we call him Lord because they realize now that he's in a different position. He's in a different standing than they were. So yes, they grew up under the same household, but they're not the same anymore because Jesus is risen. So you have the, the empty tomb, you have the eyewitness of the woman, you have the eyewitness of, of, of James and, and, and Jude, but then you have the eyewitness of the apostle and a big crowd of people. The passage that we read says that Jesus showed himself to the apostle. Now think about this. The apostles saw Jesus died and they were, they were afraid. Peter didn't even have the guts to stand up to a little girl when she said, oh, you're with him. She said, no, no, and he started cussing. So they were afraid of what, what, what happened. They were, they were hiding. They left some of them from the mountain. They were, they, were, they were beaten. They were beaten. But yet, they would go around and start preaching the gospel. They would start preaching the gospel. And, and so at the time that the gospel was being preached, and Jesus showed himself, well, before, Jesus showed himself to several people. So at the time that Paul is writing this text, they're still alive. So I can go to them and I can ask them, did you see Christ? And they say, yes, we saw Christ risen. And, and, and that's so the, number five, the early evangelism, the preaching of the gospel early on in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus died in Jerusalem. They didn't go to some other city in another no they preached it right there right where Jesus died that's where they preached the gospel and the gospel grew so that I mean the same people that saw Jesus die now then would believe by the thousands that Jesus is alive because they had the testimony of the apostle and now the apostle out of a sudden they're not afraid anymore they're bold and they're preaching and they're being put to jail but that doesn't matter some of them are being killed but that doesn't matter they keep the testimony and while they're preaching, there's a guy, he sees that, and he's, he's a Pharisee, and he's infuriated, and he's a very zealous guy. So he goes, and he starts killing Christians, and he starts persecuting Christians, and he's going full rage against the Christian. When a Christian dies, he celebrates. And, and he goes, he says, okay, you know what? I'm going to go to Damascus, and I'm going to take the Christians over there, and I'm going to jail, put them in jail, and I'm going to kill them. And while he's on the road to Damascus, boom, he gets a revelation. He sees the risen Christ, and he gets saved. And his name is Paul. And now Paul goes from persecuting Christian to preaching. So number six is, when you look at the life of Paul and the other apostles, you see how much afflictions that they had to go through. Now think about this, right? They had to go through so much pain. So it's one thing for me to, to lie. And if you watch politics, you'll see people make statements, right? But when they get under oath, and, and, and there might be a legal consequence, a lot of times their statement changes. Their statement changes. Because there's going to be a negative consequence. When I was in Canada, I used to work for child support. And um, so I used to call the people to collect child support, right? 
And in Canada, you have welfare. So, and generally, it's not always the case, but it's generally the women receiving child support and the men paying child support, right? Not always, but the majority was that case. And when the lady is on welfare, she's getting the check for child support from welfare. And then the guy sometimes would pay. So she's receiving double check. And me being a, an agent of the government, obviously I come in the file, I'm way late, because you know, we're always, government's always late. So when I call, I call her first to find out what happened. And I say, ma'am, da da da, uh, has he been paying? Say, yeah, he's been paying, you guys leave us alone, he's been paying. I'm like, okay. And I go in the file and I see that she's receiving also welfare child support. So now, we call her back, say, well, you owe the money for child support because you've been receiving it twice. So now she goes, oh, no, he never paid. He never paid. He never paid. The story changes because now there's a consequence. So now when you call the guy, if he doesn't have his receipts, he's done. He got to pay again. Even though she said it first, even though, she, and you know she's lying, you need the, the proof. The resurrection of Christ is the proof. And, and the extreme afflictions that Paul had to go through, that Peter had to go through, means that they believed that Jesus was risen from the dead. Now, and, and which brings point seven, they signed the testimony of the gospel with their blood. They signed the testimony of the gospel with their blood. Ten out of the twelve disciples died as martyrs. Martyrs meaning they died for the faith. That means Peter, as you know, was crucified upside down. When they said, we're going to kill you because they, they gave him the option to say, I don't believe in Christ anymore. They said, no, I still believe in Christ. They said, okay, we're going to crucify you like your Lord. Peter says, I'm not worthy to die like my Lord. Crucify me upside down. The Ten out of the twelve died in similar fashion. Who got, James got decapitated. Paul got decapitated too. Thomas, they say they threw him off of a, of a church building. And they all died gruesome death. Now, you would not die for a lie. If you know it's a lie, you would say, okay, you know what, let's talk about this. You know what we really meant, and then you would start changing your story. You would start changing your story because now you don't want to die. You would only die because you believe it's the truth. And they sealed the testimony of the gospel with their blood because they believed that they saw Jesus Christ risen. And Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8, and those are some of his last words before he would pass to the other side. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me. And on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. They died because they knew that the resurrection of Christ was true. But they died not in that way, not only because they knew that the resurrection of Christ was true, but because their own resurrection 
was going to happen. So they knew that the power of the resurrection that rose Jesus from the dead was also going to raise them from the dead. So what I want to tell you this morning is that the resurrection of Christ is true, but the power of the resurrection is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. When Jesus was on the cross, the last and you guys should study that. When you have time, study the last words of Jesus on the cross. But the last, last word of Jesus on the cross was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now think about this. Jesus, the King of kings, Lord of lords, for the first time. So he's walking as a human, first time in, 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 in his existence that the God, the divine, walks earth as a man. And now he's about to face what he never faces, about to face death. And, and we all get anxious in front of the face of death. But Jesus says what? Into your hands I commit my spirit. And we had Bible study and we are talking about that. And somebody asked, was, did Jesus raise himself from the dead? Or was did the spirit? And well, the Bible says the spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. So when Jesus died, he trusted the Father. He had to trust the Father. And I don't know what you're going through right now. Maybe you're going through a situation of life and death or you feel like you're dying on the inside. But I want to tell you to trust the Father because you are in his hands. And Jesus said, into your hands I commit my spirit. And guess what? The Father did not let him down. On the third day, he rose him from the dead. And in John chapter 6, when Jesus says, I am the breath of life, he goes on to say, verse 39 and 40, he says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. So understand this, that if you gave your life to Christ, you are under in his hands and he will not let you go. He said, it is the will of God that I would lose none of those that he called me. So you cannot lose your salvation. We had a conversation. Somebody asked, can you lose your salvation? The answer is no. You cannot lose your salvation. That is a lie. Because if you belong to Christ, you are in his hands. And you say, well, maybe I can lose it if I... Guess what? You cannot lose what was not yours to give in the first place. Salvation, you did not give yourself salvation. So how are you going to lose it if you did not give it to yourself? God gave it to you and he says... Nothing will take him away from my hand. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. So you cannot lose your, maybe you can lose your way, but you cannot lose your soul. Maybe you can get lost in the path, but you cannot lose the Christ. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can find your way home because God is trustworthy. Bible says, even where we're unfaithful, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Him being trustworthy is not about you. It's about him. It's not about your reliability. It's about his reliability. Now, you and I, we're flaky. We can be here one day. We could be there one day. But God is a rock. He doesn't move. And there's a saying that says, if you find yourself far from God, guess who moved? It wasn't him. It wasn't him. Because he's a rock. And he can be trusted. He can be trusted. It is trustworthy. 
And when we go to the end, we go to the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 4 and 5, he says, and so that's when the, 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 the new Jerusalem is coming down. And if you read, this is my, one of my favorite books, the book of Revelation, because you see Christ on the throne. And he says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things that's passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Understand this, that being a Christian is the best thing that you could ever have because you already know the end, and the end is you win, and the end is we come and we are reunited with God the Father. When you read the book of Revelation, you understand that our situation at the end is better than our situation at the beginning. The situation of mankind in Revelation is better than the situation of mankind in Genesis. When you see Adam and Eve, what they had, and you see what we'll have in the end, we're better off than they were. I'm glad you asked. Somebody said, why? Is why they were in a garden and they had a body that could sin because they sin. When you're in heaven, you have a body that cannot sin. You you were they were in the garden and there was a serpent in the garden. How the serpent got in the garden, I don't know, but he was there. When you go in Revelation, the little what started with a conversation with a serpent ends up with a confrontation with the dragon. But guess what? God wins that confrontation and the dragon is kicked out and his followers are kicked out into the lake of fire. So there is no more evil. There is no more tears. There's no more. He said, I will wipe away their tears. I will wipe away their cries and your body cannot die. And it says that the the presence of God, there's no sun and there's no moon because the presence of God himself is the sun and the moon. The presence of God himself is the light. Back then, the the presence of God would walk, but it still needed the sun. God created the sun and the moon back then. But now he says the very presence of God will be there. There will be no more sorrow. There will be be no potential of disobeying. When Adam and Eve disobeyed, the angel took away the tree of life. When you look in Revelation, right there on the banks of the river is the tree of life. No more sorrows. And so if you're going through stuff right now, understand that this is not the end. This is not how the story unfolds. The story unfolds where you're in the presence of God and with no more tears, no more no more, no more crying, no more pain, no more diseases. Right now we got to struggle some, somewhat, but when we get there, there's no more none of that. Now if we look in the past and we see the evidence of the resurrection, and we see the evidence of the resurrection in history, guess what? Well, that gives us confidence for our own resurrection into prophecy. If you look at what happened, and when you read the Old Testament, you see that the resurrection of Christ was predicted. They predicted. Psalm 116 says, you will not allow your anointed to, to see decay, meaning that you would rise before decay. And various symbols in the Old Testament show you how Jesus would die, but also how Jesus would rise from the dead. 
So the, the resurrection was predicted. And when Jesus came, he predicted him himself. He says, the son of man has to be taken. They will kill him, but he will rise. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it again. Talking about the temple of his body. So he predicted it. And when time came, he performed it. See, we live in a time when, if you get like guys like sports, there's a lot of letdowns, right? You watch a team, and they form a super team, and they put the athletes together, and you look at that and say, wow, that team is going to win four championships. And then they win nothing. And they win nothing. Letdowns. But when it came time to perform, Jesus performed the resurrection. God raised him from the dead. And what that tells us is that when time comes, he will fulfill his promise. He, he promised it about the son. He's promising it about you. So when time comes, we, we can trust that he will rise up again. We will rise up with him again. But there's an even better promise that comes with the resurrection. So we looked in the past, so we see the evidence of the resurrection. You look in the future, you have confidence that you will rise. But even now, the resurrection of Christ means that he is there with you now. That Jesus is here right now. Jesus, you have access to him right now. That's what the resurrection gives us. He says in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, that's what, that's what we call the Great Commission. And he says... Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." So when Jesus rose and when he was about to go back to the Father, he sent his disciples with a mission. And the mission was to make disciples, meaning share the love of God with everybody and everyone. It doesn't matter if they're black. It doesn't matter if they're white. It doesn't matter if they're Hispanic. It doesn't matter if they're Asian. You share the love of God with everyone. But that's a big task. Imagine somebody says, I want you to go and make the, all, the whole world disciples. But guess what? He was going to give him the power to do that. The power is in his presence. Bible says if you belong to Christ, you have the spirit of Christ. And so he said, I am with you to the end of the ages. And so when you see the, the different afflictions that they had to go through, you see Peter going to jail and then the church praying and, and the, the, the angel coming and getting Peter out of jail, Jesus was with him. When you see Paul in jail is also when they're praising him. And now instead of taking him out of the jail, God just makes his presence come in the jail. And when the presence of God comes, the chain breaks. God comes. Jesus is right there. So I don't know what you're going through today, but I want to tell you that Jesus is right by your side. And I know in this pandemic it might have been tough times. We, we all went through some sort of difficulty. But I want to let you know that Jesus is right there with you. And that's the power of the resurrection. And the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, that same power is with you. And I want to close with a passage of John. So we read a little bit of the story of the resurrection. So if we go to John 20, verse 14, 17, we have 
the morning of the resurrection, but from the angle of Mary of Magdalene. And it says this, at this time she turned around. So Mary, she was looking for Jesus and she was broken. She was crying. It says, at this time she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is this you are looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And so I don't know if you find yourself like Mary, where you're, you're crying. I don't know what makes you cry. Maybe you cry because you lost a relationship, you lost a loved one. Maybe you cry because you lost a job. Maybe you cry because you just don't know where you are in life, you lost your way. But I want to tell you that Jesus is right there. And what, what, what blows my mind is that Jesus says, go and tell my brothers. He doesn't say, go and tell my servant, though they are his servants. He says, Don't, no, go and tell my disciples, for they are his disciples. Go and tell my friends. Yes, they were his friends. He says, go and tell my brothers. That's the deepest relationship you can have. Says in that said, go and tell my brothers that I am ascending to my father, and we know the relationship that Jesus had with his father, but also your father, my God, and your God. And that's the goal of the crucifixion and the resurrection. It's for us to be reconciled with God. It's for us to be able to be big word akin to become the same race as Christ or the same. Fam, as Christ, Christ basically said, go tell my fam, I'm going to the Father. Go tell my brothers, I'm going to, that's the deepest relationship. And I don't know where you are in life right now, but I want to encourage you to come to him and come to him. There is no the song that we sang, we sang, we said, you know, sin was big, was, but your love is greater. The shame was was. Tremendous. But you, Jesus, you are greater. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you did. I don't know what happens in the past. But I want to tell you, it doesn't matter. You can come to Christ. There is no sin that Jesus cannot forgive. That's what the resurrection shows us. Jesus is over everything. He has power over everything. There is no hardship that he cannot help you overcome. He is right there with you. Worship team, you guys can come. And just take a moment to go into the presence of God. And I want you to take a time to think where you are. Where you find yourself. If you're fine like Mary and, and in this pandemic you lost track of Jesus. You know, she was looking for Jesus. He was standing right here. So you might be looking for him, but I want to tell you, he's, he's standing right here. You might think he's a gardener, but he's right here. And he's calling your name. And he's calling your name. Saying, Dave, I'm right here. I'm right here. 
So let's close our eyes and worship and go to him in this time. God bless you.